Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah is brought to you today by Dr. Norm's Cannabis Twitties. Dr. Norm's combines the two things that I love into one tasty little package, Twitties and cannabis. The philosophy of Dr. Norm's is simple. Taste the Twitty, not the cannabis. Each Twitty contains 15 milligrams of 99.9% pure CBD isolate, so you'll receive the full benefit of the CBD, but hardly taste it. With two delicious flavors, peanut butter chocolate therapy and chocolate chip therapy, Dr. Norm's CBD Twitties have something for everyone. Go to drnormstwitties.com and use the code BROBIBLE20 for 20% off plus free shipping. So we got an offer? No, we got a problem. Oh, don't tell me that, Ari. Not today. You said you were sure. I was. Just got the phone with the Rubensteins, people. Somebody robbed his house at the party last night. What? Stole the original Shrek doll right out of its apparently impossible to break into case. Jesus. Welcome back, everybody, to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage Podcast. I am your host, J.R. Hitty, coming to you from San Francisco, California. Super excited about this week's episode, guys. We're talking once again about Dom. Great guest this week, Fraser Tharp, head writer for Complex.com. The guy knows his music. The guy knows his entourage. He had some great behind-the-scenes stories because he just did a piece for the 15-year anniversary of Entourage. That piece is in the show notes of today's episode. Go give that a read. Make sure you give our playlist a listen. I haven't brought it up mid-episode the last couple of weeks. I just noticed every week when we talked about our favorite songs from the show, I put them all onto a Spotify playlist. That can be listened to and followed on Spotify at Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah Music. Thank you to everyone who listened to last week's episode, Dominated with Will DeFreeze. Will and I go a long ways back. It was a lot of fun to break down this iconic character with Will, who's a consummate professional, true podcasting pro. We're chugging right along here. We're four episodes into season three, all sorts of good shit on the way. Thank you to everyone who's left five-star reviews. Those have been super unbelievably helpful. And thank you to everyone who's following the social media accounts at oh yeah Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Quick plug, I've had my friend Kyle Banduho on this podcast a few times. He has a sports podcast called Bid Screen Sports Pod. He does essentially what we're doing here, but he does it with sports movies. He breaks down the authenticity of the sports scenes in those movies. He's done some iconic movies. He's got some great movies coming up. So go give him a follow and a listen. His show's a lot of fun. I was fortunate enough to do the pilot episode of the show. We broke down Remember the Titans. Kyle's just one of those guys who loves movies. I'm one of those guys who just loves Entourage, so we're a good fit for each other. So without further ado, let's talk about Dom, Shrek Dolls, and Median with Fraser Tharp. All right, we are back. I am welcoming back to the podcast this week, Complex Senior Editor Fraser Tharp. Fraser, welcome back to the Entourage podcast. JR, thank you for having me, man. Thanks for joining. You specifically asked me in season two that you wanted to do a Dom episode. Couldn't leave you off the hook on that one. So I decided to be talking about Dyes and Doll with you today. Bro, I still had no idea that Dom was so reviled within <laughs> it's the interesting. community of Entourage fans. So I'm eager to defend this this arc. You know what's interesting is I had Sunday Scaries podcast host Will DeFreeze on last week, and we actually talked about how effective Dom was. And while he wasn't well-liked, like looking back on it now that I'm in my 30s and kind of can respect the show as a whole, like it, he's he's effective. He's he's like he comes in off the bench and just like starts draining threes in all the other uh, characters' faces. And uh, it's just interesting. It's interesting how quickly he comes and goes and the impact he left on the on the show. Yeah. Before we dive into the episode, I want to talk, um, because three weeks ago on July 18th, which was the 15-year anniversary of the Entourage pilot premiering, Fraser, you dropped a piece on Complex.com called The Making of the Entourage Pilot as Told by the Creator and Cast. Mm -hmm. In the piece, you interviewed Doug Allen, Kevin Connolly, Tevin Dillon, and Jerry Ferrara. Tell me a little bit, tell the listeners of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, what that process was like and how your conversations with the uh, cast went. I mean, I really have to thank you for that actually because um <laughs> around the time we filmed the the first episode i was on it was like a the saigon episode maybe of season two good morning saigon we recorded that in june yeah you just casually mentioned to me that an, that anniversary is coming up and it was a big <laughs> holy shit moment you know obviously in media 
anniversary content is is just like a a landmark of all all the shit we do. We always try to keep an eye on that, and somehow that slipped right by us. So, so where's my job offer from Complex, dude? I mean, send it in. You got my <laughs> you got my recommendation. We were doing a big Seinfeld thing. Seinfeld turned thirty, and that anniversary was on I want to say the fifth. So I was under the gun doing that, and then still thinking with Entourage being the fifteenth, we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. I actually had an idea. I wanted to ask. Doug, who I had interviewed years before, like back when the movie dropped, I wanted him to like give broad strokes on what he would do for like a season nine. Oh yeah, cool. Only because I think, and I think this was something you and I talked about in the last one. It's just so funny when you rewatch this show and see how many Hollywood trends that are popular now that he kind of inadvertently predicted. One hundred percent. So. Uh, I hit him up like, yo, would you want to do this? And he was basically kind of like, that sounds like work. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like, yeah, that sounds like I'm actually working on a season (laughs) nine. (laughs) Which, you know, fair. Um, So obviously we knew we weren't going to put together a whole comprehensive oral history within that two week period that we had. So I thought about just kind of tethering it to the making of the pilot and then opening it up to broad strokes and that way. You know, we don't have to worry about getting all these people. Like, I would have take any chance to talk to Emmanuel Shrieky, but she's not really there for the pilot of season one. So, you're sure, really yeah. going after Doug and the core cast. So, I thought that'd be cool. But, um, yeah, then it, uh, tracking those guys down was way harder than I expected. Don't I know it, dude? Yeah, man. Um, you know, Jerry is obviously still out here, still like guesting and starring in all these like rom coms and stuff. But the other guys just kind of like, you know, are just chilling, you know, hopefully so, which they've earned. But if you're trying to get them in a very quick window, it wasn't easy. And I got Doug first and he and I had a really great convo. But then there was a point where it looked like I was only going to get Doug and it would be like a Doug thing. And I was like, cool, but fuck, like, what, you know? Yeah. Then I, um, I got a line to Kevin Dillon. And he and I had a cool chat. And then uh, after a lot of phone calls, I found E, Kevin, Kevin Connolly. And then Kevin said that the other Kevin and Doug had kind of brought up the, uh, the thing I was calling them for to Jerry and put it on Jerry's radar. And they actually helped me get Jerry. Um, I think I interviewed him like the day before the piece had to go, which is damn dude. Like very, like it was my first time putting together like a true blue oral history too, which is just like a lot of, it's almost like assembling a puzzle, you know? Yeah. Which I'm really proud of the way it turned out. Cause it does feel like conversational and stuff, but it's a lot of assembling pieces and moving things around. And it was like a really crazy thing to be doing, you know, in the 11th hour, but it was really rewarding. And I hope you guys and everyone else that still fucks with the show really dug it. Fraser, first off, you're welcome. <laughs> Second off, I do deep dives every week on these individual episodes, but this is the most comprehensive deep dive on the Entourage pilot I've ever read. If anyone listening hasn't read this piece yet, I'm including the link in the show notes of today's episode. Go read this piece. Fraser did a fantastic job. You're a fan, man. You're a fan, and it, it comes through, and I think that's why people like listening to the show, is they like listening to fans talk about a show that's that's so well-regarded and missed, so congratulations and thank you again for writing the piece no doubt man so uh you ready to talk about dom let's talk about dom let's defend dom (laughs) all right guys and doll episode four of season three of entourage aired on sunday july 2nd 2006 kind of a weird weekend because it was a holiday weekend july 4th was on tuesday and on july 4th the space shuttle discovery made its second return to flight mission since the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster in 2003 and the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster in 1988, I believe, which was the 30-second space mission the Space Shuttle Discovery had made, but by its last mission, Discovery was like the most successful space shuttle, flew 150 million miles on 40 missions, completed 6,000 orbits of the Earth, was finally decommissioned in 2011. It now sits proudly on display in the National Air and Space Museum. What an American thing to like, like have this space shuttle have its first successful thing on the 4th of July, just two days later. 
I had no idea about any of that, but that's amazing. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> it's tough to, but I mean, if you think about it, like, do you really think many people watched this episode when it aired? I doubt it. Uh, funny enough, you mentioning that date now, this was like the last season because, uh, you know, remember they split season three. Yep. up. So this was like the last season that I was not watching live for. Got it. Yeah. I think I, I, I had caught up and came around around like uh, 3B or whatever they call it when Carly Gugino is in the cut. Quick recap of today's episode before we dive into the, the Tatadores and the awards. With Aquaman packing multiplexes around the world, it is time for Vince to capitalize on his success and pick his next project. Ari informs his star client that the dream role of Pablo Escobar in Medellin is available. And all Vince needs to do to land the role is to impress Phil Rubenstein, the film's producer. The entire entourage attends a party at Rubenstein's Santa Barbara mansion, but all of the goodwill that Vince earns is destroyed when a prized model of Shrek disappears from the producer's house during the party. Suspicion immediately turns to Dom, but the ex-con denies the theft. Turtle, Drama, and E don't believe him, but Vince does. Medine is about to be totally derailed when Dom finally admits to lifting the doll during the party. The crew cut Dom loose and secretly return the doll, only to learn that there's a new complication. Aquaman 2 has been greenlit and is scheduled to start shooting the same day as Medean. Frazier, what was your favorite moment from this week's episode? So I rewatched this the other day in preparation, and, you know, this isn't, like, I'm, I'm defensive of Dom, but this isn't one of, like, the big marquee episodes of season three either way. But, so, I, you know, I hadn't seen it in a while, but I definitely laughed out loud unexpectedly even though i knew it was coming when ari does the fake sting with the jets tape and it's the bot mitzvah like that like their reaction to him in that scene is just fucking hilarious hey what's going on what's going on is we know dom took the doll ari Vinny, i got proof fuck you you don't got shit listen you return the doll and everything will be forgiven okay there's nothing to forgive because i don't got it all right, what kind of proof do you have? Security tapes from Rubenstein's house. You think the guy's got a billion dollars in the bank and doesn't have cameras everywhere? The jig is up, baby. Dom, it's bluff. Am I? Yeah, because I didn't steal it, so I can't be on that tape. I'm going to press play. Press it. And if I'm on there, I suck your cock on Rodeo Drive. But if I'm not, I'm going to crack open your fucking head. Either way, I lose. Yeah, either way, you lose. So fucking press the button. Oh, Jesus. All right, what the fuck is wrong with you? Hey, any shots of us at the bot mitts? All right, I'm fucking kill me. Put Shrek back in his cage. I did this to save your ass, okay? Because, look, you know, everyone knows this, this is the worst thing you've ever done. Get out. I'm going to call you later. I'm leaving on my own. Vince saying, Ari, this is the worst thing you've ever done, and it's kind of interesting. Does Ari does some horrible things on behalf of Vince. <laughs> like, Connolly's reaction in that scene, like, it's all just golden. I'm really glad you brought up that scene because I have like a few funny moments that are like my favorite funny moments, but this was, in my opinion, one of Adrian's better moments of actual acting is this scene. Yeah. yeah. Because you, if you're watching closely and Dom is like, you know, denying uh, himself or denying against Ari's accusations, you see Vince like kind of home in on Dom. And then as he sees Dom scratch his neck, which is his tell, right? Vince becomes like this like weird predator. He kind of follows Dom around the room. And by the end of the scene, I was kind of convinced like he's a good actor. Like he's, he's an observer of people. And he goes on that whole like rant about how like his boy would never jeopardize his career for something so stupid. And have we gone so Hollywood, we forget how to treat family. <laughs> Fuck this movie. E. In fact, fuck Hollywood. I would rather be working at the dairy barn than to listen to people accuse my boy. You know why? Because I know Dom would never intentionally do anything to fuck me over. You know, don't you? I do now. Know what? How? You scratched your neck when you told Ari he was bluffing. Really? Yeah, see, that was his telling cards, not that stupid shit you keep doing. I feel like shit about this. Dom's just totally outmatched with Vince in that moment. So I liked that moment in terms of, like, elevating Vince. Right, and you know the scene really does play differently once you are rewatching it, and you know you know the whole shit with the tell and, and what Vince is doing and everything. It is definitely a, a big shining moment for him, and I think the arc overall is like it does good things for Vince and it does good things for the gang. You know, um, I think two is still the best season, but what I really like about three and why I think three is like right up there with it is 
you know, making him like a true blue A-lister that has the biggest movie of box office of all time or whatever, there are a lot of ways they could like write themselves into a corner with that. And they find yep. interesting ways out of it. Um, the twist at the end of this episode is one of them, you know, the, the, the date conflict and then everything they get into with the, the studio head after. But I just think, you know, the idea of a, of a, a fifth member coming in right as, you know, their popularity is cresting. is just such a genius arc to me and one that probably would happen. Yeah. The whole plot of like this freeloader friend coming in from like the East coast, it's all very accurate to like, I, at least in terms of what I would imagine to what being a celebrity could be like, right. Whether or not he was a little bit inflated, a little bit of a caricature of that. I mean, that's it's yeah. television obviously, but he, you know, it's, it's Vince displaying the same, kind of loyalty that got the rest of them out there to begin with too so it's kind of an interesting catch-22 that they're all kind of dealing with yeah two really other funny moments and they come from dom um they're both kind of in the same scene uh when they go out to coffee the very first thing dom says is he goes let me guess i'm making too much noise with the whores let me guess i'm making too much noise with the whores man i can ask him to bring it down you know they they fake those screams they're just for effects anyway the girls are fine Dom. He's very serious about this, and he's kind of weirdly, like, embarrassed and nervous about it, which is hysterical. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, I, like, when you when you see um, his real name, his name in real life is Dominic, too, right? Dominic Lombardarzi, yeah. Yeah, dude, when you see him do some of these line readings, it's like, how can you not love this guy? And the thing for me is that he didn't overstay his welcome. Like, two episodes is a perfect amount of restraint, I think. Truly. And he he has a lot of good moments. The one other one from that's right outside the coffee shop as he pulls up in the Hummer and goes, should we hit a titty bar? <laughs> Vinny's like, it's 10 in the morning, Dom. I'm telling you, I don't think he did. Should we hit a titty bar? It's 10 in the morning, Dom. Frazier, every week we talk about bros being bros moments, and that's just like friends looking out for each other, friends being friends, guys being guys. What, what moment from this episode jumped out at you as a bros being bros moment? Um, you know, it wasn't the broiest thing I've ever done on the show, especially in the early episodes, but I do, you know, love the idea of um hearing about like a new party they have to go to and the whole gang goes shopping together. That's, <laughs> that's Yeah, that I did that I did some <laughs> wine country fits. <laughs> they gotta get wine country fits and then it's almost the you know, the like the cattiness of Dom beating drama to a shirt, now he can't wear that shirt. <laughs> How good is this shirt going to look on me? Not as good as it already looks on me. Too slow to the draw, hombre. <laughs> I don't know about you, dude, but I would never get mad if my, <laughs> my boy wants to wear a shirt. I bet, all right, that shirt's fire. Like, you should wear it. <laughs> yeah, especially like a dress shirt. Like, who fucking cares? <laughs> <laughs> my moment is from the party at Phil Rubenstein's in Santa Barbara, and that's Dom's story. Dom's story, which, like, basically lands Vince the Medellin role. Yeah. About 10 years ago, me and Vince were out at some dive bar in Queens, and he hooks up with this hot piece of ass, as usual, and he blows out. Me, I stay, I get zonked out of my mind, I stumble out in the middle of the street, and I see my fucking car's been stolen. <laughs> I don't know what to do, so I call the fuzz, I fill out all the paperwork, but it's 40 below, and I'm freezing my balls off. So I ask him, can I stay in the back of the squad car? They say, yeah, sure, no problem. I'm sitting there, Phil, for 20 minutes when it fucking hits me. I didn't drive. My car was in stones parked at my house. <laughs> that's a funny story. Let me ask you something. No, that's so. not the funny part. Here's the funny part, Phil. Fucking cops run a check on my registration. It comes back, I got three bench warrants out for my arrest. Bam, that's it, they got me. No fuss, no muss. I'm already locked in the backseat of their car. Fucking idiot I am. I turned myself in by accident. <laughs> That's hysterical, Doc. And touch. As I call Vince up three in the fucking morning and the kid busts open his piggy bank and bails my ass out. And the best part, the hot broad that he had with him had a good-looking sister. Right, Vince? Still to this day, Phil, the best lay I ever had. That's the kind of guy Vince is. He's a brother to me, and I love him. The friendship. There we go. Friendship. Now you've said something there. And I think it, it's a really good fake out too and showing how, you know, obviously they're all on pins and needles about 
how can he fuck this up? And it's yeah. good fake out showing you a future where he does fit in a little bit more brusquely, but still fit in and find his kind of his place at these kind of events going forward. Well, it's funny because in last week's episode, which I don't know if you had a chance to watch or if you remember, he's not as bad. He's more just like happy to be there. In this episode, in the lead up to the the party, he's pretty bad. And I think this is a good transition in the least favorite moments. Dom says and does some pretty fucked up shit in this episode. Do you agree with me? Definitely. To the point where, like, I understand why the whole crew is super nervous about him just, like, casually strolling up to the producer of this movie and, like, telling a story. Yeah, like, uh, we're going to see the Jew agent, the Oriental. If the Oriental even looks at me, I'm taking him down. He's, like, horrified looks at him and being like, you literally can't say that. I mean, that that was how it was back in 2006. So watching it now, it's like, damn, dude. Like, right. They're really playing him up as kind of an animal. Yeah, definitely. Was anything else, like, one of your less favorite moments from the episode? Yeah, you know, my least favorite moment was just kind of, I think, you know, the show always got kind of a bad rap for not really presenting any real conflict and everything working out. I think they set him up too much to, even on a show like Entourage that's like relatively low stakes, I do think it's kind of a cop-out to have the the resolution with him be off-screen. Like, it's very awkward when they're in the car driving back up to Santa Barbara and, you know, the dialogue's very exposition-y, like, oh, you know, he's out the group, but we gave him the Hummer. Come on, guys, admit it. You miss him a little. A very little. He's only at the Oakwoods. A Hummer and an apartment. Not a bad severance package. No, not bad at all. This is it. Yeah, he's kind of, he's not tilled off, obviously. I mean, he does make an appearance in, like, three seasons. But, like, he's kind of just, like, pushed aside very quickly. Right. Like, they confront him, and then that's all you see of Dom for the next fucking four years. And that's fine, but it, it, if you're going to do that, at least... Like, you built him up too much to not have that scene, you know? They're literally telling him, you can't stay or associate with us anymore. Yeah. He violated the trust, but I would have liked to see, like, they give him the keys to the Hummer, and he drives off, you know? Something like that. Right. As opposed to just, like, boy, a Hummer in an apartment, nice severance package. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> not great. And then the last thing I didn't love uh, scene was Dom having Dottie-style sets in the mornings, that view of uh, Dominic Lombardazzi's naked white ass. That I could have done without that. <laughs> I could have done without it, but it, it is funny. I don't um, – you, you see a similar shot in the episode before, right? You see – it's a little bit more um, like in soft focus where you just kind of see some <laughs> – prostitute riding him and it's a little more believable i think though they were trying to make it be like this guy is so like flagrant with this stuff that we're gonna show you just his bare ass <laughs> yeah i mean it's like you said earlier he is kind of an animal i think that it, it as a sight gag it worked for me yeah uh what was some of your favorite quotes from this episode um you know we we spoke about the some of his line readings earlier where he says you know is, is this about the horse but um <laughs> Uh, I think it's, first of all, it's a great payoff and it's a great line reading and it's great. It's just a great line written wise when, uh, so drama and turtle do like the search and they just decide to like throw out his shirts because they can't remember what order or whatever they put it in. And, and yep. drama assumes that, Oh, if they're just missing then that's less suspicious. And of course he notices it immediately. And Dominic says, so 40% of my wardrobe, which is like such a great, that's a great payoff and just like a great way to put it, you know? And it's the kind of line that makes you, that does kind of make you sad that he, he gets, uh, you know, killed off. Yeah. Killed off. I only brought five shirts with me and two of them are gone. Can't help you, Dom. 40% of my wardrobe goes missing. You guys don't know dick about it? Nope. Vince? They don't want your size, Dom. I like Turtle and Drama, like, being detectives. They do this, like, once or twice a season, and it's so funny because, like, Turtle's so stoned and Drama's so... He's not stupid. He's just, like, obtuse. And I love that the solution is, like, we'll just throw them away. <laughs> it's, like, a total, like, guy <laughs> solution to something. Yeah, and the, the the logic made perfect sense to me. I've been there. Yeah. But Yeah, it's still trash. I only had five shirts, so 40% of my wardrobe, like, that's, that's great. 
some good Ari lines when E waits him up at the beginning of the episode. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Which is just an Ari Goldism that is really iconic and, and kind of forgotten in the pantheon of all of his famous quotes. I mean, it's great. And then you have the pan to his wife, just kind of sending it back in disbelief. Like, Yep. And then I like how what he ends it on, which is a very like alpha Ari quote where he says, You have to get up a hell of a lot earlier than this to wake me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cunt muscle. It's perfect. It's just, it, it encapsulates Ari. Like, he's always up before you. He's always like, on that grind before the movie star's best friend rolls out of bed. That and it and it encapsulates the uh, you know the early seasons have a lot of just e r e specific banter that I think they kind of lost going forward. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you one more time about Dr. Norm's cannabis cookies. Forget your obsession with other types of sweets. Because Dr. Norm's cookies deliver a delicious experience that just can't be duplicated. With medicinal and therapeutic qualities that are tasty, original, and safe, no matter what your lifestyle is, there's an option for you to choose from. Founded by a brother-sister team, the philosophy of Dr. Norm's is simple. Taste the cookie, not the cannabis. Each cookie contains 15 milligrams of 99.9% .9 pure CBD isolate. So you'll receive the full benefits of the CBD and hardly taste it. With two delicious flavors, peanut butter chocolate therapy and chocolate chip therapy, Dr. Norm's CBD cookies have something for everyone, no matter how experienced you are in cannabis-infused products. Go to drnormscookies.com and use the code BROBIBLE20 for 20% off plus free shipping. That's code BROBIBLE20 at drnormscookies.com for 20% off your order plus free shipping. So... You write a lot about music. You're passionate about music. You have a pretty near encyclopedic, pedic, pediatric. I don't know how you say that. Uh, knowledge of music. There was some good music in this episode. Do you want to talk about some of the songs you heard and uh, which ones may have been your favorite? Uh, some great music. You know, ending on Dead Prez. Yeah, was great and also kind of took me back because I think uh, Chappelle Show also used that song a lot. Yeah, that was his walkout music on Chappelle Show. Just the instrumental right. version. So that was kind of a whole flashback to that era. But then I think the um, the Mob Deep song that they play while Turtle and Drama are tearing the house apart is great. Put them in their place. Yeah. You know, Scott just has a great ear for not just putting cool songs in, but songs that really fit the mood. Was the red shirt on top or was the white? you got to be kidding me. I told you to remember exactly what everything was like before you touched it. Well, I forgot, okay? So what do you suggest I do now? Just throw those out. What? Those two shirts, throw them out. If he sees that everything's out of order, he's going to think we were snooping around in here. Yeah. But if it's just gone, what the fuck's he going to say? Brilliant. Just do it, Turtle. Keep looking. Where else? We looked everywhere. Yeah. And, I mean, New York hip-hop is kind of a prominent figure in the early seasons. Then he kind of opens it up in the later seasons to include some just, like, new cuts, which is awesome. For sure. Um, I'm going to give a special shout-out to Cobra Style, uh, which is the song that's playing when they're taking the helicopter ride. It's dated. It feels like a 2006 song, but it still makes you feel good. Right, right, right. It's, like, the type of song I'd be listening to on, like, my iPod Classic if I was ever <laughs> in a private helicopter ride. Real quick, did you notice the turtle was playing on his phone during that ride? Oh, yeah, amazing. But it's also like, what was he playing in 2006 or whatever year this was? I don't even know. I don't even know what type of phone that was. But it's crazy because um, one of the things um, in the oral history, uh, Connolly was saying how, you know, once the show took off and it, and it became kind of uh, this fantasy wish fulfillment thing, that Doug was always super, super into them always having like the newest gadget sure and then jerry followed that up with the i, I was telling jerry that he later in, in season five was like one of the driving factors for me needing beat a pair of beats by dre headphones <laughs> they had just come out and then they're in an episode on so i was like all right fuck i need to go buy these even though they're like 350 or whatever insane yep. as they were at the time and then he told me a crazy story of dre actually rolling up on him in equinox getting <laughs> bought and saying oh i'm a big fan and thanks for being the first person to ever wear beats jesus that's <laughs> like, such a good story <laughs> poor jerry's just trying to get like his reps in and all of a sudden the biggest hip-hop mogul of all time like taps him on the shoulder 
That and like just biggest, like he's like Dre is so jacked. He thought it was Ray Lewis at first. Yeah. <laughs> Man, shit, dude. I wanna I wanna like debut some some products on this podcast. How do I do that? <laughs> so <people laughs> right? can hear me. <laughs> uh, there's no bid celebrity cameos in this episode, which is unfortunate. But there is a bid cameo, and that's Bruno Kirby. Do you want to talk about Bruno? Wow, this wine is great, Phil. Congratulations. Mm. I'm glad you like it, Vince. And I just screened Aquaman, and you were great. Ah, thanks. You know, I just saw Madagascar with my nephew, and that was really great. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. In fact, if you have any open animals in the sequel, I'd love to be involved. Great. What kind of an animal could you see yourself playing? Um, I don't know. A cheetah, maybe? A cheetah. That's great. Great. You're both great. Let's make a deal. Harry, could you leave Vince with me for a bit? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Bruno Kirby, man. Um... Actually, he he's one of those guys where you kind of look up that face. Yeah, it's like he's one of those the peak. Where do I know this guy from? Type. Yeah, he's kind of the faces in the crowd award as well for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was great to see him. You know, and I didn't know that he had uh, unfortunately passed away. Yeah, he you know American actor, singer, voice artist, chef, and comedian. He's known for his roles in City Slickers, When Harry Met Sally, Good Morning Vietnam, and The Godfather Part Two. He was described by Leonard Malton as the quintessential New Yorker or cranky straight man. Uh, sadly, this was his last acting project. The oh, episode wow. aired a month before he died from complications of leukemia. Super sad. Shit. Who do we think he is a stand-in for here? I was trying to figure that out. I think he was meant to be a bigger presence in season three and four. Does that obviously we meet Nicky Rubenstein, who's his son. Right. And wow. he's like a mainstay. Yeah. I I couldn't tell you. I, I tried to figure it out, and there there was no no real record of it. But if anyone knows who he'd be a stand-in for, tweet us, DM us, at oh yeah pod on Instagram and Twitter. Kind of like a John Lasseter, Brad Bird type, maybe, you know? I mean, that would probably be it, right? John Lasseter? Like, yeah. you know, the, the Tina Pixar, the guy who started it all? That's the vibe I got. Yeah, this is interesting, because I mentioned in a few episodes past... I think when I had Chad Goes Deep on for One Day in the Valley, there is such thing as an entourage curse. Are you familiar with this, Frazier? No, not at all. All right, so this is the second time a fake producer has died after being on the show. So the first was Scott Witt in season two. The actor who played Scott Witt died of cardiac arrest right after season two wrapped. He was supposed to be like a big producer for the rest of the show, oh, but he's he's never mentioned from there on out. And then here's Bruno Kirby. I mentioned this, and then there are a bunch of cameos where people people are on the show and then die shortly afterwards. DJ AM, uh, Chris Penn. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but there is a oh yeah, oh yeah special episode that should be coming out sometime in the next year where we break this, this curse down a little bit farther. That's insane. I had no idea, but now my conspiracy had a spinning. What's Doug Allen doing to these guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm like, every week I say I'm not going to do the outfit thing, but like you make a point to call out your coworkers' bad fits or, or good fits in the office on your Instagram story. So I gotta, I gotta throw it to you. What were some bad outfits you saw in this in this episode? Yeah, man. Shout out to uh, Fit Check. Um. You know, if I was fit checking Johnny Drama, he would not get a favorable. He would not get a favorable episode. Uh, he, I mean, he takes the L from Dom with the shirt, and then his replacement shirt is just horrible, dude. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing with that. And then it's like a very, you know, it, it's funny watching this in the late aughts, and you just see the type of style that was like crazy. Then like Turtle is obviously more in line with the, you know, the complex reader and. Sure. He's wearing shit like Zoo York, which is dated, but it made sense for them. But then Dr- Johnny's in like this weird, he gets into this weird like Ed Hardy affliction-esque kind of stuff. And <laughs> whatever like sleeveless hoodie he's wearing in this one is just like, what the fuck? The cutoff unzipped <laughs> hoodie, like with the cutoff arms over the white tank top and jeans is like the wildest drama look we've had in <laughs> weeks. Boot cut jeans. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, might I think once he starts getting money, it just gets even worse. And then Ari's got this super wide black tie at the wine tasting. Like, all the boys look pretty good. There maybe need to be a little bit more tailored, but it, it like, ages fine. But then Ari walks in, and his tie is, like, as wide as his nipples. And you're like, what <laughs> the fuck, Ari? You're supposed to be a power agent. 
what were some outdated references that were made in this episode? I'm just going to throw it out there and let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Madadastar and Shrek was what Phil Rubenstein was at the Tina. But those are some dated ass movies. Those were 2001 and 2004 at the time. Yeah, those man. movies are 15 years old. Shrek, I guess you kind of get because it's more of a cultural phenomenon. Madagascar yeah. is like, really, what the fuck? Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever even seen a Madagascar movie, bro. <laughs> and then uh, going from that, though, Paul Haggis, when you think about it, is kind of dated, right? True. Yeah. That's actually a good point. You know, because like, you think about it now, because they make a big deal of, uh, you know, him coming off Crash Heat and everything, but. Yep. Now Crash has become, I think, one of the most notoriously laughed at best picture. Um, overrated. Was, uh, a lot of people call it overrated. And I, you know, just hearing Haggis, I don't even know what the last thing Paul Haggis has done. We'll talk about Paul Haggis next week when he makes a pretty big cameo appearance in next week's episode, but I haven't done any research on him yet. Um, yeah. But yeah. Definitely. Do you remember his cameo in Entourage? What do you think of it? Uh, it, it's fun. You know, it's kind of just there. Nothing showy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it did give me things like, wow, you know, hearing someone talk about Paul Haggis with that kind of heat is crazy. Like, I think I actually met him at the premiere for this Russell Crowe movie that he either wrote and or directed, uh, which is actually really fun. But it's like a thing like if I brought it up to you or just anyone, no one would know what I was talking about. Like, if you brought up Paul Haddis to just anybody, you mean? No, like, if that this was, like, 2010, and it was, like, it's, like, the last big thing I remember him doing. It's, like, this movie with Russell Crowe and Elizabeth Banks, and uh, Elizabeth Banks is framed for murder, and Russell Crowe tries to break her out. Damn, he hasn't done the next three days? No, yeah. that's a writer. Yeah. That's what it's called? Yeah. Oh, shit. I mean, it's solid, but it's yeah. it's definitely, it's not the kind of thing you'd expect from him and coming from this era where Crash was like the biggest shit. Yeah. Oh, no. And he went bat to bat at the Ostras, didn't he? Wasn't it Crash and... Uh, million, million Dollar Baby. Thank you. Yes. He, like, didn't he write Million Dollar Baby? Yeah. That's, That's And like even Million Dollar Baby is considered kind of overrated as a sports movie and over million dollar baby like swept the ostrich that year yeah crazy yeah all right well we'll talk about haddis next week and a great desk for next week everyone make sure you tune in um i think next week is crash and burn so uh it's a good one that's where Vinny confronts uh terrence really one last outdated reference uh kind of two actually uh <laughs> Drama like dives into the window well to like I don't know what he was even checking down there, but didn't do anything wrong. Did you find anything? No. But I may have figured out a way to descramble the pay-per-view. Oh, for real? Nice. What are you guys doing? We were just checking out the plumbing. You find anything? Oh, all clear. You want me to be able to get spice? Why don't they just pay for that shit? Because Vince is worth like tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that also that also did jump out to me. You know, obviously, it's dated. Um, that concept of unscrambling shit is like wildly dated. But yeah, it's also like you guys are fucking multimillionaires. What's going on here? If this same plot happened in 2019, Fraser, how would it be different? Um, it, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you wouldn't maybe have Dom laying it on so thick in some of the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, I never... I forgot about Ruben Steinberg. Which one's Ruben Steinberg, Ari? It's Ruben Stein, and, and please, don't try to pronounce it again. Vinny, let's go get us a gig. You ready? And I, I never really, like, it, again, it's entourage, it's low stakes, you don't have to think that hard about it, but the plan to just drive up and anonymously toss it onto the lawn also seemed kind of like a cop-out to me. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think 2019, you would not, the director in choice just wouldn't be Paul Agus, you know, no shot to sure. Paul Agus. But when Ari does that that scene, that big show of like throwing the scripts in the trash or whatever, the rest of those directors are directors who still would carry that kind of weight today. Yeah, that's right. I, I want to talk about Ari in a few minutes, but really quick, the last thing I would say is Dom would get caught so quickly, I feel like. Like, just with cell phones and like security and people's houses and like if you're ha- if you're like this big time director and you have a bunch of strangers in your house you're gonna have security cameras running like I-, I don't know and it's apparently this doll's in some in 
impregnable case. Like that thing would have a laser sensor on it. Yeah, yeah. Every week we give a sits man award, Frazier. It's the guy who comes in, guy or girl who comes in and just makes use of their minutes. I almost said Phil Rubenstein. Would you agree with me, or, or do you think it'd be someone else? Um, I gave it to Lloyd. Lloyd, I gave it to Lloyd love it. Just off the one, I don't even think he has a line, but he just has a reaction to Dom. <laughs> Great, it's so funny. Great. Come on, Vinny, you're making bank. You can't get your boy a whole shirt? You talking to me, jerk off? Take it easy, Dom. I just don't want you to excite my man here. He's in the bad boys, aren't you, Lloyd? <laughs> Not. <laughs> Come on in, boys. Lloyd, uh, Rhett's Lee starts to get a little bit more shine towards the last half of season three here. I'm really looking forward to like seeing him become more a mainstay in the cast. He's so quiet for, like, I'm not kidding, 16 straight episodes. Really? Yeah. It's it's wild. Like the, uh, he gives that really passionate speech to Ari after Ari gets fired, and they're in his driveway, and they're listening to uh, "For Once in My Life." That's like his big moment in season two, and then he kind of goes quiet for another six, seven episodes, and then we start to see him like really stretch his wing. That's crazy, though. Yeah, um, that's trippy, just considering what the character became, and you know, exactly. One of like that. definitely a source of some of the funniest moments, you know. So we, you mentioned Ari. What was your favorite Ari Gold moment from this episode? Um, yeah, I think it still goes back to the tape. That's the favorite moment, favorite Ari Gold moment. That that moment is just so great. And I do think it's always funny. Like, we always think of the gang as the four of them and Ari. But it is funny when these moments arise that has Ari working for a different agenda. And, you know, kind of at odds with him. You know, obviously not seriously, but, you know, just everyone's re- like... Connolly's reaction in that scene we talked about Vince just saying it's the worst thing he's done like it's just so great and he's so shameless about it oh yeah he'll do anything to like make sure that his A-list movie star is on the straight and narrow I'm actually gonna give it up for the scene you mentioned uh, earlier which is where he's throwing the scripts in the trash it's very dramatic and it's very theatrical but I love it he's like committed to the bit flight dead poet society in space character driven Great script. Darren Aronofsky's directing. They're offering you $8 million. <laughs> the Sandman. You're a retard at a Red Cross tent in the Sahara. It's being there meets Lawrence of Arabia. David O. Russell's directing. They're offering you $9 million. Take it, Vin. Then he brings the, the poster over and acts like he's, he's doing blow or whatever. Oh, it's so funny. Is this what goes on in here while we're out in the hall? The line starts behind me, motherfuckers. Same blow. It's powdered cream. What the fuck is going on, Ari? Yeah, Ari, what's up? We're going to the co-capital of the world. That's what's up. Medellin. Medellin? Medellin? Medellin. Boom! You're going to play Pablo fucking Escobar just like you wanted. I thought that script was dead. It was dead. Then Phil Rubenstein gave it CPR. He saw Aquaman, and he loved it. Holy shit. It's like kind of, in a way, it's kind of endearing. I don't know how you feel about that, but like it's, he really gives a shit, you know? Yeah, it, I, it, moments like that help sell, you know, when we get to the dramatic beats later in, in this season and, and stuff like season five of him always valuing Vince as more than just another client. Absolutely. And it also shows you how good he is at his job. Yeah. Because it'd be one thing if he was like, here, Vince, here are 10 scripts, and then he chooses one that he likes. But no... Ari wants to give Vince what his client has been like desiring now for like years. So he kind of makes this whole show of like, these are all great, but fuck them. We're going after the Moby Dick of scripts that you want right now. So I appreciate it. He's, he goes up to bat for Vince and, and, is, and is trying to make it happen. What was your favorite Johnny drama moment from this episode? There's a lot of good ones. Uh, there's always a lot of good ones. Um, my personal one, is, uh, they're walking into the party in drama in true drama fashion is trying to, you know, I think he's always trying to find room to still be the older brother or the more seasoned Hollywood person. You know, <laughs> his younger brother is richer and more famous. So he's giving Vince a pep talk about charming men. <laughs> it's different than the usual charms that Vince, you know, deploys on women all the time, which is just peak, peak Johnny. Vince. Being charming is all about body language, bro. Vince knows how to charm, Johnny. Yeah, women, but man charm is a totally different animal. You got to get in close enough to entice, but not so close as to encroach. <laughs> Just using big words. <laughs> I got one more from that party. 
he's holding the glass of wine. I get toffee, mocha, and a hint of terra firma. Terra firma is dirt, drama. You know, wine comes from dirt. <laughs> it's all like butthurt. <laughs> We're, we're coming to the end here, but since we're coming to the end of this episode of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, I want to talk about the end of this episode of Entourage. What did you think of the, you know, the cliffhanger reveal of Aquaman 2 will be start production on the same day as Medea? Did, did you like it, or was it a little bit, like, cheap? What's the word, Ari? Got anything new to report? Uh, yeah, I just got a call from Rubenstein. Apparently, they found his doll somehow. Oh. So we're all good then, right? No, we're not. Just got off the phone with Warner Brothers. They're so excited about the Aquaman opening that they've greenlit Aquaman 2. Well, that's good, no? Nah. Start date is September 8th. Same day as Medellin. I really liked it. I mean, uh, I brought this up earlier. I think... Uh, the Aquaman win in itself can could have really painted them into a corner about where to you know derive any kind of tension on the show or stakes, mm-hmm. and I think this season has a lot of fun with throwing some unexpected but totally sensible curveballs. Man, this is a good one, and the um, you know not to get too ahead of it for you and what you talk about in upcoming episodes, but. If I'm remembering correctly, it becomes a situation of not even being about the dates, but more about image, too, now that he's like a yep. lunchbox superhero. So I think all that was like really, really uh, clever. And I think the next few episodes really shine a light on some of the inner workings of studios and actors and IP and identity and stuff. Because there's this whole thing where like Vince is like, hey, I did the one for you. I want to do the one for me now. And right. the studio is like, no, you have a contract, dude. You don't have a choice, kind of. There's that. And, um, you know, one thing I, I'd asked Doug about when I was talking to him for this story was, um, you know, if he ever consider, like, considered satire in his writing. And, and he was like adamant that every line, every um party and stuff every plot choice was all driven from some something that really happened and it's fun when you think about this and the whole thing with aquaman 2 uh people probably don't remember this but there was you know they kind of based this whole arc off of toby spider-man and there was a moment where toby wasn't going to come back and they were talking to jake gyllenhaal for spider-man 2 yeah we talked about that in the movies of vincent chase an episode i did in between seasons uh two and three with Kyle Banduho and it shined a light on Hollywood which for a lot of people in the country it wasn't a familiar place yes you know obviously you I live in San Francisco you live in New York we both work in media there's like this kind of knowledge that we have now because of Twitter and because of like deadline and stuff like that but at the time in 2006 it was really illuminating to be like wow I guess that's really how it works like you if your action movie does well you have to do two more that's why I see some actors like trapped in these roles for decades essentially at at the time that and and the you know the concept of of tv too it's like when can you when can you do the one for you like there's but so much free time you can even slot in for that absolutely who besides vince won this episode i mean i think (laughs) dom to be fair you know (laughs) he does this really boneheaded thing to fuck up this golden goose situation and he still gets an expensive car and probably yep. nice apartment out of it yeah we declared him the winner last week too kind of begrudgingly but 100 percent, i think he died off the best out of everyone in this episode i'd also give it to turtle because he exhibits quite the arm there in that last scene <laughs> yeah so um uh yeah i i mentioned this earlier but be from our previous talk when when we had touched on Dom and people not liking him, I did ask Doug about it, and it didn't kind of fit in the story. But he, um, I found the the transcript where he talked about it, and he was telling me that Dom was supposed to be Turtle in the beginning. Wow. Yeah. And he had always wanted to. He he was telling me that the original pilot had a shit ton of characters that he had to whittle down to for it to make any kind of sense but it sounds like you know that character was something he always wanted to get back to that essence and so Uh he created Don for season three and he tells a great story of uh you know the episode the morning after the first Dom episode aired 
my mother called me and was like, I did not like that episode. And then um, <laughs> Dominic Lombazzardi was walking around the city and people were booing him. Yeah. So, yeah, man. It, and then, you know, he mentions that uh, he really wrote the episode uh, where Dom comes back a couple seasons later just to prove that he could make the audience root for Dom. And you know what? You know, we're not there yet. It'll probably be recording that episode in 2020. <laughs> like, he does a good job of it in that. You know, he's got, like, a wife and kids. And right. he's, like, a hard-working guy, and he just that gets freaked out or whatever. And then in the Entourage movie, he's in, in prison, if you remember that cameo. Wow, I didn't, but fuck. Do you remember the plot in the Entourage movie where drama gets caught with, like, the, the video? Yes, yes. Yeah, so it, it does, like, a quick cut around to all these people viewing the movie, and at one point it cuts to Dom in prison, and he goes, I grew up with that guy, which is fucking hysterical. <laughs> Frazier, last question. Was this an A-list, B-list, or D-list episode of Entourage? Uh, I think you got to give it B-list. Um, it's sandwiched in between some some real big hits for season three. Yep. Uh, season three starts really strong, and you're you're heading up to a really good stretch with the the two parter and the Vegas. So, you know, with that against it, there's no way it could be A-list, but it's definitely not D-list. I think I agree with you. I, I initially started like this whole podcast thinking, oh man, I'm gonna rip apart those Dom episodes. But after talking to more and more Entourage fans, and more specifically talking to you and Will, who I had on last week, it really is kind of clear that he the intentions for the character were good. Maybe the reception was a little bit overblown, and uh, I think he's really effective. So I'm gonna give it a B minus as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it comes down to two things. He, again, he doesn't overstay his welcome. Yep, and uh, you know. When he is there, it's it's pretty funny, and I think the re- only really the only knock for me is they do settle it completely off screen, and it's almost awkward and jarring. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I didn't really realize it until we've talked about it here. It's it's a little bit unsatisfying. Right. This episode of Oh Yeah Oh Yeah was very satisfying though, Fraser. Thank you again for joining and talking our favorite show, Entourage. Definitely, man. Anytime, you know, between doing this and then doing the story i'm like fully rewatching it my girlfriend has never seen it so it's fun to watch with her reinvigorated where can the listeners of oh yeah oh yeah follow you you can follow me on twitter and ig at the underscore Summerman, um where i talk about entourage probably off more often than a normal person read fraser's writing on complex.com guys and fraser let's do this again let's do it in person though i want to come to new york and sit down in a room and, and chop it up let's do it anytime bro All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yep.